Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. What I want to do is commence a three-part series in which we focus on what I know is a key objective for many people watching this podcast. I know that a substantial majority, I don't know precisely how much of a majority, but I know a substantial majority of you want to stay in the home that you're in till you pass away. You'd like to spend the rest of your life in place. I know some of you are thinking, no, 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 that's not me. I'm happy to move to these really cool you know, retirement facilities, whether it's assisted living or whether it's even skilled care. And I get that. I agree with you. I think I will be in your camp as I get older because I think that there are marvelous places to go. And you've heard me talk about it on this show a lot. Naples, Florida, when my wife and I are in Naples, you know, I'll, you know, we'll sometimes drive around and look at these other, these places in which they're either, most are assisted living. Some are actual, what you call a nursing home, skilled care. But I'm telling you, it's almost like a cruise ship on these places, a cruise ship on land. So at the same time, I know statistically that many of you say, it's great, you know, God bless you, go do that, but I'm going to stay in my house. That's where I want to live. I want to stay in my house. It's home. I've been here for X number of decades, and this is where I want to spend the balance of my life. So I have dedicated the next three shows to you to this majority of you that say, I want to stay here and I need to figure out how to do it. It's not, an, it's not that complicated to create a pretty good chance that you can accomplish your goal, but it does require that you think in advance about what is it that I need to do in order for this to be realistic. It's not simply enough for you to say, that's my expectation. And if something changes then I'll reconsider. Because often it's not a voluntary reconsideration. Often the thing that happens is it can be a fall, it can be a health incident, it can be that you have, some people will have financial challenges being able to pay for their houses for reasons that could widely vary. So if you don't have a plan, it, it, you might still wander across the finish line at a satisfactory time, but that's really counting on a lot of luck. And I think that since we just have this one life to live, I'm sure you agree with me that why don't we plan so that the chances that we succeed are much higher than if we just count on blind luck. So I've decided to sort of break this topic down in a way that I think will address the key considerations. And I will spread it again over the, the three shows and I'll try to present this in a way that will make sense to you and we'll provide some visual aids as we go along to, to help you better understand the topics. Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning, 
Count on Tucker Allen. Personalized estate planning made simple. So let me first start out and let's kind of clarify what would be our objective. And I I say we need to clarify it because you and I both understand that if something happens where you have a medical incident, you have cognitive decline, there are things that could happen that would make it very difficult, not impossible probably, to stay in your home, but very difficult where the resources required are of a higher order than those that you had intended. Some of you will have the resources, financial and otherwise, to pull it off longer than others of you as it relates to medical issues or cognitive decline issues. But I want to try to clarify what the definition would be for for your goal. And then you can make plans accordingly to achieve that based on your resources. So... I want to first distinguish between what's called custodial and skilled care. Some of you completely get those terms. Custodial care is the care that's available that's not so much for the treatment of an injury or an illness. It's instead the care that's required for somebody whose capability of taking care of themselves has declined a lot. So that's a different situation than going into a hospital because you broke a hip and it needs to be repaired or going into the hospital because you had, in the recent past, it would be COVID. And your expectation is that that's going to be treated. You're there for a term and for a purpose and you'll be returned home. The moment that you go into a facility and you've gotten beyond the fixing of a medical problem, whether it's an injury or an illness, Once you've gotten past that, generally speaking, then you're no longer being treated. Um, Now, rehab is sometimes and is fairly considered a treatment up to a point. This is the reason those of you who are frustrated because Medicare doesn't cover all the things that you think it should, you think Medicare should cover your need to stay in a long-term care facility, like a skilled care facility, a, a nursing home. And I want you to understand at least why the public policy is that it is. The public policy says, look, we can't afford to give custodial care. We can only provide medical care, and that's expensive enough. So if something happens, something breaks, or you get sick, or you have a problem uh, relating to your heart or some other organ, yes, Medicare says we cover that. Furthermore, we'll go even further. We'll say rehabilitation, which, again, ties in with treatment, right? Rehabilitation. Rehabilitation, we'll pay for that to up to 100 days a year. But that's where it stops. And while there's some room for imagination and creativity as to what constitutes a need or a benefit from further care related to rehab, then that can be extended but not beyond the 100 days, but at least it can be um, a period that you can take full advantage of for purposes of recovery. But this is different. This is different from custodial care. And when we talk about what your goal is, we have to decide what do we mean by that. And, And you probably want to stay in your home even though you need custodial care. And 
that's realistic for many of you, not everybody. But let me explain this difference. So those of you who need medical care on an ongoing basis, not simply something that Medicare covers, not something to to treat or fix an injury or an illness, but instead you have an ongoing need for medical professionals, for equipment, for various things that are available only in an institutional environment in order to, to live, not custodial, not simply you know, move, transporting you and feeding you, but things that are medical and require professionals and a professional environment. When you get to that point, you're looking at nursing home, and Medicare does not cover that. Um, Medicaid uh, can cover that if you're broke, but I'm making the assumption that many of you are not broke, and the definitions are pretty strict. And in order to qualify for Medicaid, you're talking less than $10,000 in most states uh, in terms of how few assets you have to have. Uh, so it's a tough definition to meet, but that's the way traditionally people will say, in order for me to get to survive now, I've got to be in a facility, and that facility is going to be something, whatever its name is in that particular state or community, it's a nursing home. Now, it doesn't mean it's not a nice nursing home. Obviously, there are very nice nursing homes. We talked about that a few minutes ago, but it still is a place where um, – if you're there for any reason other than needing actual medical care on an ongoing basis, again, it's not the medical care that's related to fixing something or, or treating an illness. This is just ongoing daily care. That would fit the definition of a skilled care facility. It would not fit the definition of coverage for medical treatment that comes under Medicare if this hope that sentence made sense to you. So I want, I'm making this distinction with you because I want you to understand that many people, I would say the substantial majority of people who are in quote unquote nursing homes, who are in the skilled care environment, that is remember only necessary if you need medical care or you need this sort of custodial care and you don't have anybody else to do it. The substantial majority of the people who are in those facilities are people who are there relating to custodial care. It's not because they need the medical professionals constantly available or that they need this this institutional environment with its equipment and whatnot, its technology in order to survive. They have to be in this facility. That's a substantial minority of the people who are in skilled care facilities in quote-unquote nursing homes. The substantial majority are people who really need this custodial care. Yes, they benefit from having a medical professional around. I'm not saying that that these people you know, do not benefit from having a nurse check in on them periodically, uh, once a day, perhaps if they're in one of these facilities. But, but the point is they could get that outside the facility. And I want us to have an understanding that if you're very ambitious in terms of your determination to stay at home, you're ambitious, you want to be at home, and furthermore, you have some resources available to where it's 
more realistic for you to pull that off than perhaps somebody else who doesn't have some other advantages that you might have. So you will have to do some self-assessment during the course of this series to determine the extent to which certain milestones or points along the way will be a deal killer for you, meaning that if certain things develop, you may not be able to afford those options to be, though they could be done from home, for you it may not work. So you may have to turn to going into some sort of institutional environment because you do need the custodial care and perhaps not as much the medical care. So I'm going to assume that you are fully ambitious and that you want to go as far as you can possibly go and that you have some resources to do this with. I'm not assuming that you're rich, but I am assuming you have some resources, and this will make more sense to you as we go along in this conversation. When I talk about the things that get people into nursing homes as well as any custodial care environment, you'll hear a lot of talk about what are called ADLs, activities of daily living. ADLs are thrown around a lot these days when you're talking about caring for people who are older. ADL, it's activities of daily living. There are five that are generally recognized for Medicaid purposes. For some purposes, there's a list of seven. They add a couple more. And, and those may relate to your ability to go and do things outside the home. But these five things are very fundamental to your ability to live. So they've been adopted, and they're used widely throughout the industry. Insurance companies use, you know, speak of ADLs, activities of daily living. Medicaid, it's throughout. When you look at the way that they monitor and evaluate long-term care facilities or assisted living facilities, et cetera. I mean, all the bureaucracies have adopted this language. Um, so I want you to have some familiarity with activities of daily living. I think these will all make sense to you. Some of you know this already, but bear with me. Bathing, can you bathe on your own? Is there Will there be a point perhaps when you cannot? Dressing. What about getting dressed? That's an essential thing that has to happen. Some people, maybe they can bathe, but they can't dress because of some physical condition. Toileting. Um, transferring. Transferring means can you get in and out of the bed? Can you get to the toilet and off the toilet? Um, transferring just refers to moving from these essential places that you need to be, mainly in and out of bed, in and out of the the shower or bathroom. Incontinence, uh, continence just means your ability to, to wait and go to the restroom in the proper place. I think we get that. And then finally, feeding. Can you feed yourself? So those, those items there, one, two, three, four, five, I just gave you six items. So much for the five items. There's an additional item on here, but anyway, you get my point. All of these things are kind of widely recognized as important. And this is the way, in fact, some people qualify who want to qualify for for Medicaid coverage to stay in a nursing home. Those who meet the financial requirements, they have to be able to prove that they cannot do, depending on the state, two of the five, or in some cases, three of the five. So bathing, dressing, toileting, transferring, Continence and feeding. I'm betting continence is what is the additional item on here. 
I, it's rec- obviously because of our research. I know it's recognized, but I think in terms of the five key items that that Medicaid recognizes is it's bathing, dressing, toileting, transferring, and feeding. Um, continence, of course, is relevant. So you get my point that these are the things that that you need to be able to the challenges that there's a good chance you're going to have to deal with as you get older. Now you may not. And so we're just wanting to develop a plan here that you can have confidence in the whole way or a higher level of confidence than you otherwise could have. And in order to have that level of confidence, you need to think about what if the time comes when I can't do all of these things? Now, again, we're not assuming that there's a medical condition that requires you to be in a professional environment where you have medical care and, and, and skilled professionals, healthcare professionals. We're assuming that, that this instead is something where you're okay on having perhaps some people drop into the home periodically. That's increasingly available. There's home health care services that are available. Some of the hospitals now are going to this. It's clearly a thing in the future. So there will be more of it, not less of it. And having you stay at home as long as you can is actually to a point is cheaper than having you in an institutional environment to a point. There's a point where the economies of scale gravitate in the direction of people being in a single place, equipment and nursing professionals being able to be distributed among a lot of people simultaneously. Um, But at lower levels of need, such as what we're talking about, where the only necessity perhaps is somebody, a nurse, a medical professional to drop in occasionally, uh, to have perhaps other providers of healthcare services to drop in occasionally, like physical therapy, respiratory therapy, et cetera. So you do have the wind at your back in terms of the healthcare industry and governmental policy wanting to encourage people to be able to stay in their homes and get care. So it is a thing now more than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. But we're having this threshold conversation because I want you to to think about how determined you are to stay at home. Because some people say when they say, I want to I want to stay in my home till I die. What they really mean if they're questioned pretty closely is that they want to stay in their home unless it becomes a hassle, uh, unless they can get better, more ready care, perhaps somewhere else or unless it becomes a tactical challenge for me to be able to line up people or to do the things that I need to do in order to stay in my home. Because you do become, I don't want to overstate the case, you become a little bit of an independent contractor because you, or somebody on your behalf, and I'm assuming that actually for many of you, we'll talk about it, that somebody will need to manage your care And that's not by any means an insurmountable challenge. Managing your care is pretty easy today. Uh, There's lots of resources that are readily available. Insurance encourages it, et cetera. But you need to decide on the front end how far you want to carry this objective. And if your determination is that I'm going to stay in this home as long as I possibly can without clearly harming my health. If that's your degree of determination, there's a good chance that you will get all the way across 
we'll call it the finish line, and that you will your longevity will not be adversely impacted. There's a good chance of that, but you need to think it through now, and that's why we're having this conversation. It's not much of a conversation, is it? Give me feedback. Give me feedback, and and I want to know your thoughts regarding this approach as we go through this this series and your suggestions, your criticisms, of course. Uh, so if you're prepared, though, to make arrangements to meet these ADLs, if you now develop a plan where, look, if something happens, if I have a stroke next month and suddenly I can't do some of these five or six items, then I know how I'm going to get it done. The good news is that this is not skilled care that we're talking about here. These are not professionals that fill these roles. When you have home health providers, this is kind of the lowest rung on the ladder. This is somebody who may have had a one-month training class, two-month training class, but there are people whose disposition, we would assume, and, and whose um, desire in life is to be a caregiver, that, that, that they're predisposed to that. That's really the most important thing is that they be the sort of people who are sympathetic, that they like taking care of others, um, that they they want they're diligent they want to do a good job the pay at these at this lower rung within the healthcare hierarchy would be um, it's going to vary depending on what state you're in I would say in the Midwest you're talking about twenty five to thirty dollars an hour seems like a lot of money uh, but it's hard to get people to do this job it's a job that requires somebody to to you know, be willing to clean up things, messes that some people don't want to touch. If you know what I mean, they uh, they have to be willing to feed and help and lift and and encourage and and be a companion. Uh, but it's not enough that they just be a companion. And I think that that it's realistic though, if you have the finances to have somebody stay in your home for perhaps not full-time, but eight hours a day, um, then it certainly allows you to stay home a lot longer than you otherwise could. So these are the things that I want you to think about when you're thinking about this objective is what happens if the road becomes more difficult? It's easy to say, I'm going to stay in my home as long as I have a smooth paved road and I can simply just default to what I am now and life will go on. So it's the default decision requires no effort. But if it does suddenly become a difficult road and it requires more effort to stay than it does to go, then what do you do? So I'm dwelling on this topic here at the outset of our conversation because I want you to think this through and decide do you really want to define your objectives differently. So when I when I ask you about clarifying your objective, I want you to think about whether your objective is to stay on this road uh, within reason, come heck or high water. And I'm telling you that if that is your determination and you have resources, then it's a very reasonable goal 
but but you do need to budget now for what these costs might be. Some of you will have long-term care insurance that will pay for you to stay at home and have somebody work with you at home because it's clearly in the insurance company's objective to reduce those costs. There are a number of options when you can have those of you have a place where you can have someone live in. That's ideal. You can trade uh, the rental space for so many hours care. Some people do that. Others just out and out pay for people to come into the home. 24-7 is very expensive. You do that math and you can see how you can easily be spending you know, 50000 plus a year for somebody to stay in your home. Some of you have the ability to do that. And those of you who do have the ability, you still have to ask yourself, do you want to do that? But th- this is a conversation that I kind of wanted to have on the front end uh, because I want you to think about you know, what it would look like to stay in your home and to think about you know, what are the events that would cause you to decide to abandon the effort or to shift to plan B, we'll call it. Another source to consider, though, is, is family support. So, you know, if you ha- do you have money to hire professionals? Is there a possibility of having a live-in of some sort? But also, to what extent do you have family available? That's huge. I would even argue that for the majority of you that are staying in your homes, you're planning to do that with the help of family members. That's a wonderful thing about family. Makes me wonder what this, the, the Gen X is, not so much the Gen X's, the Gen Z's. The Gen Z's are going to do when they get older if they've not had children. Because children are the ones who, really often the only ones who are prepared to give much of their life to the care and well-being of their parents, just as their parents did for them. Uh, It's a special, it's a unique relationship. And people who don't have kids, it's hard to have family that's willing to roll up their sleeves to the same extent. So ask yourself about the availability of these resources, and then that might determine the extent to which you can hold out and even have your custodial care, custodial care remembers these ADLs, even have that provided to you in your home. That's doable. And some skilled care in your home, to make that point clear. You can go a long way if you have some resources to do it. Um, and we'll talk more about those resources and how to plan for that. But this show today has been to kind of set the stage for our discussion going forward. And to have you think about you know, what is realistic for you. And not just about what is the point at which I will abandon this effort. You know, do you define it as a point where your ADLs, you can't do your ADLs? Is that the point? Or is it instead the point where you want to try to do those as many as you can, but when this happens, I'm going to go to B, plan B. And then I want to ask you, and I suggest you think deeply about what would plan B look like. Let's not place you know, all of our chips on this one bat. I'm going to have a plan for you to maximize the probability of, of this succeeding your plan A, if you want plan A, I want to see you get it as fully and completely as you can. But I do think you need to think about what would plan B look like. And as part of this discussion, it's just critical that you have that you have such a plan, which means having the finances to implement it. 
It's not enough to simply think, okay, there is this place down the street I've thought about, and I would consider doing that. There needs to be more precision to the plan than that, because the nature of planning for where you're going to live when you're older than 60 is subject to dramatic, sudden change. And the dramatic, sudden change is attributable to the fact that you're vulnerable to incidents or physical events, cardiac events, strokes, other things where your life can change precipitously, instantly. And it's imperative that not only you have the, the, the plan that we've talked about, what you intend to be where you are the rest of your life, but you've got to have more detail about plan B. And we'll talk more about that. We'll talk about how you have in place the arrangements that you know will be self-implementing virtually. And there are some legal tools that allow you to do that that are very affordable. And they're kind of self-implementing because you'll know that if something happens to you instantly, there is someone who is doing the things that you would want done for you, that you would choose to do for you under those circumstances. So this is how you take care of yourself in the last third of your life. You know, you, you think a lot about where and how you're going to live that life, and yet you plan for the possibility that you may have to do something different. But in all the scenarios, you end up in a wonderful place and in a place where you're safe and you're cared for and you maximize your longevity, which should also be a goal. So we'll wrap up with this. We have two more episodes. I look forward to discussing this topic more with you. Till next time, this has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.